already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, and his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning with a, with a heart of gratitude, with a, with a heart of praise and this great gift that you gave to this world for this great act and this love and kindness that you've bestowed upon me. I'm thankful to be saved this morning. Lord, I pray that you'll be with us as we read no sweeter words found in all of books in this world, but a story about a loving Heavenly Father who had so much love that he was willing to give his Son to redeem a wretched people to him. Lord, be with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We have returned to our study again this morning in the book of John. Over the last two sermons in this text, we've covered the conversation between the Lord and Nicodemus. We've already said that Nicodemus was a, a Pharisee in the beginning of chapter 3 who has come to the Lord by night with a heart full of questions. There in the cover of darkness, we've seen in verse number 2 that Nicodemus would make some confessions. He said that he, would, he believed that Jesus Christ was from God. He believed that God had given Jesus power to perform miracles. He, he called him rabbi. He believed that he was a a teacher of the word of God. But what Nicodemus did not understand is, what did all of this mean? Why had Christ come? What was the meaning of these miracles being made manifest now? What was the, the meaning of the wisdom of the word being unveiled to them in this moment? The following verses, uh, following after verse number two, the Lord would not waste time in unveiling the greatest need in Nicodemus' life, and that was to be born again. We said in that time that if even if you're here this morning, no matter what you have going on in your life, if you're here this morning lost and undone, there is no greater need you have in your life this morning than to be born again. But after the Lord made this aware to Nicodemus after he told Nicodemus that he needed to be born again, he wasted no time in explaining how this provision was given. How, how could an unrighteous man be made righteous? And we've seen that 
And last week in the 16th verse of John chapter 3, that for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In the closing part of this conversation that we're going to be covering this morning, verses 17 through 21, on the onset of this, or really at the onset of this portion, but in the closing of this conversation, Jesus will clarify to Nicodemus that God did not send him here to save a specific race. God did not send him here to save a specific gender. He didn't send him here to save only high-ranking officials. No, in these last verses, verses 17 through 21, we get a heavenly view of how God views humanity. When God looks down from the world, or when God looks down from heaven upon the world, he didn't see Republicans and Democrats. He doesn't see black and white. He doesn't see Filipino and Chinese. But our text this morning says he sees saved and lost. But not only does he see saved and lost, our text will make clear to us that there are distinct behavioral differences between the two. There is a difference in between a way a saved man acts and the way a lost man acts. Picking up here in verse number 17, where we left off last week, we see it says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Understand that verse number 17 is a highlight to the end of verse number 16. When it says there that um, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17 is the understanding of that statement in verse 16. This word perish, we said, it speaks of separation. It speaks of to destroy utterly. It means to bring to a knot. It means to, to make void. And listen, though we may not enjoy this truth, and though this truth doesn't sit well with us, we must understand that for those who do not place their faith in Jesus, waiting for them is hellfire. Waiting for them is a place of weeping and gnashing your teeth. Waiting for them is a place where the worm dieth not. Waiting for them is a, a life of eternity in darkness. But Jesus wants to bring some understanding to Nicodemus. That is the sad reality of those who do not place their faith in Jesus Christ. But the Lord wants to under, uh, explain something to Nicodemus in verse number 17. He says, but for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. Meaning though, though this is the reality for those who don't place their faith in Jesus, that that is what's waiting for them. He, Jesus will go on to explain that is not why God sent him here though. God sent him not into the world to condemn the world. He wasn't sent here to rain down judgment upon those who haven't placed their faith in him. But he goes on to say, 
Meaning here in verse 17, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You can consider verse number 17, the clarification of Jesus Christ's mission upon this earth. The clarification can be given in those first three words of verse 17, for God sent. Here is this love-driven mission of Jesus being explained. Really, you could go back to verse number two and get, finally, Nicodemus is grasping the understanding of why Christ is here. He says, for God sent. This word sent comes from the Jewish idea, from the, from the Greek word shaliach. And though he struggled to pronounce it, this is what it means. It means that this person, this word sent, it means that they are a person who has been sent. They are an ambassador. They are a representative. But they are not a representative on their own mission. They didn't just come here from another place and start to do what they can do and start to do their own mission. No, this kind of representative was an ambassador. And when they arrived in a location, they spoke on behalf of the one that sent them for God sent not his uh, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved what an exciting message here and Nicodemus you want to know why I'm here I'm on an official mission on behalf of God the Father to conduct business and to explain to the world about the overwhelming love of my Father. And through this love, and through the explanation of this love, and through the preaching of this love, people may be saved. I love this clarification because in soul winning at times, we run into people, we run into problems as we begin to preach the gospel that people become bitter because they feel like the gospel message is a message of condemnation. They feel like as you begin to explain to them what Christ has done and that the reality for those who haven't placed their faith in him, they cling to the condemnation side of this. But listen, this message is not a message of condemnation, though it bears a reality of condemnation. This message is a message of hope. It's a message of love. 66 books from Genesis to Revelations is a message of God's love unfolding before our eyes. And yet it seems that people grow bitter with it. Well, according to your message, I'm going to hell. Well, according to that book, I'm a sinner. Well, according to that book, I'm getting judged one day. But the reality is, is that you are already going to be judged. The reality is, is that you are already condemned. Me preaching this message to you did not condemn you. Me telling you that you need Jesus didn't all of a sudden, for the first time in history, make you have a need for Jesus. This is why this is the message of hope. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. We are all under the curse. We are all in sin. We are all condemned unless the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ delivers us. We see this even more in verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already 
because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Here we see the offer. Well, we see two sides of the offer, salvation or judgment. But the first part of this verse will make a man want to leave. He that believeth on him is not condemned. I love those words. Not condemned. Romans 8.1 testifies to this great truth that, uh, that there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk, after the, uh, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Hallelujah. For those in Christ, not now, not ever, will we ever find ourselves, regardless of what sin we commit, we will never find ourselves in a place where Satan will be able to lay something to our charge. We will never in our lives be able to find ourselves in a place in which we will be condemned. Why? Because of the great substitutionary work of Jesus Christ. Because of what he did on Calvary's cross. The past, the present, the future. All of the sins of Danny Holt's life was nailed to the cross of Jesus. Now, does it mean my sins can't do me harm? My sins can do me great harm. But in the sense of fellowship, not in the sense of relationship. I will tell you there are many times in my life where my mom took the paddle to me to correct me for my mistakes. And though I didn't enjoy it, it never changed the reality that she was my mother. It never changed the reality that I was related to her. And so in the same way that when we sin, it hinders fellowship, but we will never find ourselves in a place condemned where our relationship is removed from God. I have been justified, made just as if I'd never sinned in the courtroom we stood guilty, and there in the courtroom, by faith alone, through the blood of Jesus Christ, we are made anew. What great news is given here in verse 18 for the believer, but there is some not so great news given in verse number 18 for the unbeliever. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Understand what the passage is saying here. It is not that you arrived here this morning, as I said, and you heard the message and now you're lost. It's not that you heard this passage and now you're lost. This statement brings to your understanding the condition in which a lost person is condemned. It's not that you leave here and commit a sin and then that sin condemns you. It says here that you are condemned already. A couple years ago, Caleb came home with these purchases that he made at a yard sale. Well, I'm a tool guy, so I started rooting through his purchases and began to look at these tools and found a strange tool that I had never seen before. Out of curiosity, I took it to United Dairy Farmers and began to question people and asked them what if they knew what the tool was. Well, finally, a group of three guys came in, and when they came into the room, I asked them what they thought the tool was. I, I thought it was somebody made it, or I couldn't understand what the use of it would be for. Well, two of the guys agreed with me that it was garbage. It was junk. Throw it away. But the other guy 
quickly blurt it out, I'll give you 20. And before I could even say, I just really want to know what it is, he quickly upped his price to 40. I was confused, but intrigued. So I made the deal with him. If he'll just explain to me what the tool was, I would give it to him. And he began to go on and explain to me that the tool was actually made for doing disc breaks. I said, how could I have not seen this? And he went on to tell me how it was used. But you know what? Regardless of what me and the other guy had, the other two guys really thought about the tool, we thought it was garbage, junk, useless. It didn't change the value. It didn't change the fact that the tool actually had value. It didn't change the fact that the tool actually had use. I learned a valuable lesson that day. That just because I had an opinion about something doesn't necessarily make it true. In the very same manner, you could be in the building this morning and come to the conclusion that you don't need Jesus. You can come to the same conclusion that you don't believe that God's word is true. You can leave here and slander the words that we have read this morning. But just because you have an opinion about that doesn't mean it's true. And just because you might have people around you who say you don't need it doesn't mean that you need it, don't need it. Just because you have people around you who say you don't need Jesus in your life doesn't mean you don't need desperate, you desperately need Jesus in your life. In reality, it's true. The reality is here, it hasn't changed the fact that Christ has came. It hasn't changed the fact that salvation is found in him and that in this building you stand condemned today if you've never repented of your sins and placed your faith in him. It hasn't changed the fact that one day you'll stand and one day there will be a final judgment. What I'm trying to say, our opinions don't matter when it's compared to truth. The word of God contains truth. He sets out, but he does, Jesus doesn't even leave it there, though. He sets out why the lost are condemned. This is good. Verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Hear me, we live in this wicked world. Wicked world. And yet notice what our text says. It doesn't say that you're condemned because you're an adulterer. It doesn't say that you're condemned because you're a murderer. It doesn't say that you're condemned because you're a thief. It doesn't say that you're condemned because of whatever category of sinner you fall into. It says that you're condemned because you have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Your lack of belief is what's condemned you. Our lack of belief condemns believers often. This is not just a problem with lost people, so to say, not in the aspect of salvation. But our lack of belief at times hinders us from forward progress in our own spiritual lives. We talked about that this morning in Sunday school. 
believing that the Lord will handle these things, believing that we can have confidence that when we pray that he hears us. But our lack of belief oftentimes hinders us from prayer. It hinders us from moving forward. It hinders us from getting over bad decisions. It hinders us on every side. But here is the greatest lack of belief. It says that because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The lack of belief is what has condemned the lost person. But in verse number 19, he says, and this is the condemnation. The light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Here, Jesus is saying in this word, and this is the condemnation, this is the crisis, this is the word that's used there in the Greek, it is to say, and this is the judgment. You could actually give it another point of view. You could say, God is saying, Jesus is saying, this is God's assessment of mankind. And this is the assessment. That light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. This is the assessment. This is God's judgment upon humanity. Not only that men love darkness rather than light, but that light. And when we say light, we oftentimes say that light is in reference to something good. Light isn't something that's in reference to moral. But here, the light is the person of Jesus Christ. He is the light. The light was sent into the world. And instead of embracing the light, instead of embracing the light, they would reject the light. They would lie on the light. They would crucify the light of the world. Because why? Because they love their darkness more than light. Why? because they love their wicked lifestyles, because they love their sin. No greater clarity has ever been given in scriptures about this matter. And then when we read about uh, in the life of Herod, I mean, think about this. After this earth, I mean, I think oftentimes we think about humanity groaning under the curse of sin, but Scripture says that even this earth groans under the curse of sin. And after 4,000 years of this earth and all of humanity bearing the curse of sin, God sent forth his light into the world. And the arrival of this light was such an exciting time that Mary, when she hears the news, would cause, would cause her to break out in a song and she would begin to sing and rejoice. And the song would say that how thankful she was and how desperately she needed a redeemer. When news would arrive to Elizabeth and Mary would find herself before Elizabeth, the news of the arrival of the light would cause John the Baptist to, to leap in his mother's womb. The arrival of the light was such great news that it would cause these wise men to, to travel from afar so they could fall down and worship the Lord. I mean, this was great news. But remember what Scripture says? When Herod heard about the arrival of the light, Herod was a man who loved darkness 
Herod was a man, according to history, who murdered his own two sons. He not only murdered his own two sons, but he murdered his wife's brother. He not only murdered his wife's brother, but let me tell you how wicked Herod was. History says that when Herod realized that he would soon die, he called for his soldiers to gather up people from all corners of the city. And upon his death, he, was inst he instructed all of his officials to execute those people in which he gathered up so that, the, that that city would not be in a moment of rejoicing when he died, but they would be in a moment of mourning. This is how wicked Herod was. And when the light, when he heard that the light had come, when he heard that the light was born, Herod would in his darkness be so petrified of the light that he would gather together all the babes in Bethlehem and have them murdered. Why? Because he loved the darkness, but he hated the light. Even more, we're called to be bearers of the light. We're called to be presenters of the light. We're to be the light in this dark world. But we must ask ourselves, why is there such a hatred for light? Verse 20 says, For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. You understand what verse number 20 says, is that without the light, you're in safe operation for your sins. But when the light is present, your deeds are reproved. When, when the light is present, your wicked deeds are made known. Now, I guess you could even go back to Herod in the aspect of this and think about John the Baptist, a bearer of the light. You remember what happened when Herod, uh, when uh, John the Baptist found himself before Herod and his wife, and John the Baptist began to preach the truth, and he began to condemn the fact that Herod had taken his brother Philip's wife. It angered them so bad that they imprisoned him. And it made Herod's wife so angry. From that day forward, she sought the opportunity to kill the light. And when the opportunity was given to her, when her daughter had performed her wicked deed, what happened was Herod's wife would ask for the head of John the Baptist. Think about this. She would rather see a man die than to face the light of God's word about the sin in their life. And so it is still true today. Men will do anything they can to cover up their crime. Men will do anything they can to cover up their sin, not to quit and start a new life, not to quit and behave a new way. No, they want to cover it up so they can continue on. They don't want people nagging them about their sin. They don't want people nagging them about their wicked life. Why? Because men love darkness rather than light. Why does he say that in verse 20? Because everyone that doeth evil hates the light. They hate him. Those who live in sin, they hate it. They hated the words of John the Baptist. They hated the words of Jesus. We know as John will carry on, we'll soon see that 
They hated the light of Jesus Christ so much that they would end up crucifying him. But also know that not only did they crucify the Lord, but the disciples that followed him, the apostles that followed him, and even to us today. And we continue on. Why? In John 15 and verse 18, we understand this. Jesus said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before hated you. But that's not everyone because verse 21 says this, but he that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. This is to say here, that we have all gathered this morning, not because we're perfect. We didn't all gather here this morning because we're sinless. We have all gathered here this morning because light is at work in us. The believer comes to the light. The unbeliever rejects the light. The unbeliever remains in their sin and judgment awaits them, which leads us to really the closing question that faced Nicodemus at the end of verse number 21. What is awaiting you, Nicodemus? And this is the reality that we have to ask ourselves. Jesus explained to Nicodemus the greatest need you have in your life is to be born again. Then he gives us the provision in which wicked man can be made right with God. But then he gives us a depiction of how you can know whether you're a believer or you're an unbeliever. In your personal life, could it be said of you that you love darkness more than light? Meaning, do you find yourself having more things in common with the world than with God's people? I'm going to give you a personal testimony, not an accusatory testimony. I know everybody has their own personal things going on in their life. Growing up, I hated church fellowships. Growing up, I hated church functions. Growing up, I didn't want to go to revival, and it took peer pressure to go to youth events because I didn't want to sit through the message. I didn't want to sing. Matter of fact, when people would sit around and cry and weep and talk about how much they loved Jesus, that was foreign to me in and of itself. It's like talking to me about something we have absolutely no understanding of because that's what it was. I didn't have a desire to go those places or be with those people. Because why? Well, I loved the darkness. I preferred the things that I enjoyed. We did in darkness because I loved darkness more than light. And this is the reality in the life of a believer who, for people who confess to be believers, I think oftentimes we fail to do a proper assessment of ourselves. And by doing this assessment that he gives really in verses 19 
and 20. They're in 21 also. It brings us to the understanding for people who profess to be saved, if they have a desire to get in God's word, if they have a desire to commune with God, if they have a desire to be around God's people, regardless, not claiming perfection, but that is a sign that light is at work in them. But if there's no desire to read God's word, if there's no desire to pray, if there's no desire to fellowship with God's people, if there's no desire to sing, if there's no desire for any of things, according to what he's laid out before us in the gospel presentation to Nicodemus, there is significant cause for concern. This is why Paul would tell you to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Reality is that hell hangs in the balance, but oftentimes we ignore the indicators. You know, there's going to come a day, I don't know, my wife, uh, we have this thing where I'm responsible for gas in the car, and uh, I find it frustrating that she's so committed to the fact of me putting gas in the car that she will drive the car to the point where, you know, when your car gets low, it starts flashing, you need gas. Then it starts counting down the numbers. But when it thinks you're absolutely being ridiculous, it won't even tell you how many numbers you have left because it's trying to urge you just to stop and get gas. The reality is I can sit here week after week. We can read things like John chapter 3, and read this wonderful account of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I can be like the little indicating light flashing that you need Jesus, you need Jesus, you need Jesus. But there's coming a day where you're not going to get that signal no more. You're not even going to get the opportunity no more. And then it will be too late to experience the great gift of what it means to be born again. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for our study, Lord, here in this portion of your book, in the book of John, Lord. I give thanks to you for all that you've done for us, Lord. Thank you for the Witten Place Baptist Church. Thank you for the people who are here, Lord. I pray that you'll cause us to search our hearts. I pray that you'll cause us to um, be encouraged, to be a light, Lord. I pray that we leave here today learning to trust on you, learning to trust in you, to, to lean upon you in all that we do and say. Lord, I thank you for your love, the grace, and the mercy that you've bestowed upon us that we may be called the sons of God. Lord, I don't know where I'd be today without you, but I know where I'd be one day without you. And for that, Lord, I thank you for the salvation that you've given me in my life. In Jesus' name, amen.